Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Today we're continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians. So if you're new here, we started a series toward the end of this last year called Saints in Society. And we're looking at what it is for saints. That's the title that the Apostle Paul calls Christians which actually means set apart or holy one, and what it looks like for us to be set apart while living in society. If, there's, uh, if you're new here, there's some Bibles placed around the room. Uh, please open those Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles. We treasure and value the Word of God. We preach from it every week. Take one of those, write your name in it. It's our gift to you. If you're brand new to your Bible, 1 Corinthians is going to be in the New Testament. So it's going to be in uh, the back part of your Bible. We'll give you guys a minute just to turn, turn there. What's going on in 1 Corinthians so far is in the first four chapters, there's, uh, we have a 1 Corinthians breakdown. In the first, few cha- uh, first four chapters, what Paul is doing is Paul is addressing the issue of unity and disunity inside of the church. So everything he's addressing fits underneath that theme of unity and disunity. What's causing disunity in the church in Corinth? Corinth is a very secular city, much like the city that we live in today. And so Paul is going to address some of that. But if you notice first, Paul is not addressing morality. He's not running after that. Paul first took them to who they are in Christ. Paul took them to their identity as saints. The purpose for this is that we don't arrive at sainthood. We are gifted sainthood by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We don't work toward becoming a saint. We don't do enough merits to become a saint, to earn sainthood. God, by his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, deems us a saint, holy and set apart in Christ. And then we live out of that identity. So that's what Paul's addressing. Until we grasp that, there's always going to be disunity because it's going to be us comparing ourselves to one another and the work that we're doing, even good things, even Christian things, to try to measure up to God's standard, which we cannot. And so that's what Paul is addressing first, the disunity, the factions, the quarreling, just the boasting that is going on inside of the church. Ronnie preached last week about the saint's stewardship. Today we're going to look at this. The main point today is the saints set straight. The saints set straight. I know that sounds like it's going to be a a slap or a shot in the arm or however you want to look at it, but I believe this. Some of the greatest blessings that I've received in my life was when I've been set straight, when I was off. And I used this analogy recently, but here's the reality is is if we're off a little bit on our understanding of the gospel and what the gospel is, or we're off a little bit, even in sin and rebellion that we can walk in, I would use this analogy, is that if I fly fly from Eugene to Portland and I'm off by 5%, it's probably not going to make that big of a difference. I'm still going to arrive at the airport. But if I'm off by 5% and I'm flying to Hawaii or to Australia or something like that, I'm probably going to completely miss the island. And so being off by a little bit over a long haul is going to affect our lives. It'll affect our beliefs, and our beliefs affect the way that we live our daily lives. And so what Paul is doing here is he's giving a shot in the arm to our pride. What Paul is doing is he's setting us straight. And ultimately what the Word of God does through the power and work of the Holy Spirit inside of us is the Word of God through the Spirit's power and work sets us straight, and that's a good thing. Because we're sheep that are prone to wander. And so the, ultimately, the chief shepherd, Jesus, sets us straight. And then he's given under-shepherds to the church to help set us straight. It is a good thing to be set straight. 
a quick story that some of you guys are familiar with is that when I started working for the church eight years ago, but when I went through an elder uh, assessment and went through an elder interview, initially I was told that I needed to seek counseling so I couldn't move forward. I was running from pain and everything that I faced in my life and not willing to step into it and deal with some of that stuff. And then when I got to the elder interview, I thought I was going to be all doctrinal questions and I was so armed and prepared for that. And most, mostly, they asked me some questions on doctrine, but they pressed into my personal life, they pressed into my soul, and they asked a lot of questions. And I barely passed. So the, the way that it's done is it's a one, two, three, or four. Four is like you're not going in, which I'd already got one of those. And this time, you might think, it's probably down to a one, but I was at a three. <laughs> so I passed with a lot of contingencies to continue to do counseling, to continue to press into things that are going on in my life. To be honest, that was a huge blessing and evidence of God's grace to be set straight because the reality is I thought I was awesome. That's, that's the honest truth. I've said this joke before. It's not a joke. I actually believe this. But when you read in Revelation about the 144,000 as a new believer, I didn't know what that meant. I was just convinced I was probably one of them. That is the most self-righteous thing I could say. But I was like, yeah, they seem like really legit. I'm really legit. And I'm on the path of awesomeness. And so I'm probably in that group. Needless to say, uh, this seeped into my marriage, <laughs> and it seeps into my relationships, it seeped into all of life, and so people graciously came alongside of me and set me straight, and throughout my life I've been set straight. The Word of God sets us straight, and I think that's a really good thing. So today, just know that we're going into this, the saints set straight. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we declare our need for you. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We thank you that your word sets us straight. We thank you that your word, that your law is good and perfect. But we thank you that you sent Jesus to redeem us from our imperfections, from the way that we haven't measured up. And we thank you that your word and the work of your spirit sets us straight. Set us straight this morning. Tear down any images that we're building up, any facades that we're trying to create that will exhaust us and remind us of the very image and nature that we've been giving as saints in Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to us, minister to us, slow us down this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13 this morning. I'm just recapping verse 7 because that's what Ronnie preached on last week. And so I'm going to read all of this in a very positive light and how someone could read this text in a very positive light, but then I'm also going to read this how it's intended to be read. Okay? So, here's how one could read it. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Here goes, verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that, you might sh so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a, skeptical to, uh, a, a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. 
and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become all, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. You could read verse 8, especially in this very positive light. Here's the reality. Verse 8 is not intended to be read in a positive light. This is Paul being sarcastic. Maybe some of you guys have grown up in, in homes where, you said, where your parents said sarcasm is from the devil. Just know this is literary sarcasm. This is Paul being sarcastic in the Bible. There's actually heckling that takes place in the Bible too. If you read uh, uh, the prophet Elijah, whenever he's sitting before the false prophets, he heckles them. So there's heckling in our Bible too, which is a love language of mine. And so we have sarcasm, one of my greatest gifts, and then we have heckling in our Bibles. And right now we have Paul being sarcastic to the saints in Corinth. It should actually be read like, like this. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And whether you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. This is the language that we need to read this in. It's sarcastic. Paul's being sarcastic. If, I won't make you flip there, but if you flip over to 1 Corinthians 1, we already know what he believes about the saints in Corinth. He said this. In chapter 1, verse 27 and verse 28, what did he say? I preached a sermon on posturing, on what it looks like for Christians to posture in an unhealthy way. In verse uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, it says, But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that why? No human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul's already told him, that's who you guys are. I know you guys. I spent 18 months hanging out with you guys. I was there in your presence. You're not crazy smart. You're not super wise. You're not from this incredible lineage. You don't have any of those things. It was this humble reminder to stop posturing. And in the same way, again, this is the same reminder. It's Paul's graciously and gently trying to set them straight. Because in verse 8, when he says, already you have all that you want, it was actually seen in ancient culture as a, a sin and licentiousness to be full. So what he's saying here is, is, in a sense, this is like fullness. This is like gluttony. And so in this culture, to, to be stuffed, to be full, would have been seen as a licentious thing. So he's saying this in a very negative tone. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. And, and notice here he says this, without us. So not only have they done all this and they have everything, they have their full, they have already become rich, but they're self-sufficient. They've done it all by themselves. They are kings. Just ask them which is language that they would have, uh, the philosophers would have used in Corinth at this time. So what they are trying to do is they are trying to arrive at a status quo. And Paul is being sarcastic at them and telling them, oh yeah, you are this, you have all this, you have done all this already. When, when, when Paul is saying already and already, what he's saying is already you've arrived. Already you are full, already you, you, you are rich, you are already kings. It is this sarcastic language that is being used. If for a moment we think that we've already arrived in this life and on this side of the return of Christ, then we're deceiving ourselves. 
If ever in our lives we grow less dependent upon God and our need for Him and His grace, we're deceiving ourselves. If there's a tiny inkling inside of us that believes that there's somehow, in some way, a part of us that can boast about us being made right with God, we deceive ourselves. What the Corinthians have is a very self-inflated, unrealistic view of themselves. In a lot of ways, it would be like this. Because as we know, Ronnie left off with verse 7 last week. Which the end of verse 7 says this, Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul's talking to them about their salvation. We understand, for the most part we understand, that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We can declare that, we can know that. But on the daily basis, we struggle to believe that we are actually in a right standing with God. Right? without us doing something to earn, maintain, or keep that. The reason I am so passionate about the gospel, so passionate about Jesus, so passionate about the love of God is because I daily struggle to believe that God would love me, not based upon anything that I have done, because our world and our culture says otherwise. I grew up in a family that was very conditional. We grew up in a culture that is consumeristic and conditional. Everything you want, you work for. Then we arrive at the gospel, and we're passive recipients that just receive grace, and it's the hardest thing for us to get our minds around and actually get our hearts to accept and receive. Though we know that, how quickly we can arrive how the Corinthians did is already we have arrived. Already we have enough. We're good. We're awesome. We're sufficient. It would be like this. Imagine a man walks in here Sunday morning. He walks these doors. He looks beat up and looks haggard. He walks in and says, I was just dead months ago. I've gone through all this crazy stuff and now I'm, now I'm here, I'm alive. And we're like, tell us more. And he says, I was walking down Willamette Street playing Pokemon Go, slipped off a curb, I've never played that. I slipped off a curb and got hit by, I, I, got, hit, I got hit by a car. Yeah, I was crushed. I died right there. But then they did CPR on me. The paramedics came in, they, they, they did CPR on me, they, they shocked me, they, they, they were able to get a heart beat back, but then on the way to the hospital, I died again. They resuscitated me again when I got to the hospital, but then I had so much head trauma, I slipped into a coma and I was on life support. Two months later, I snapped too. I came out of the coma. I'm here. And, and, and then he says this, aren't I awesome? Like, I'm legit. Can you believe most people aren't strong enough to go through something like that? Most people couldn't pull that off. Most people don't have the courage to. I did that. Can you believe I did that? We would say, man, you got hit super hard. That is absurd to have a thinking like that, that you did anything. The reality is is you were dead, and paramedics brought you to life. The reality is you were dead, and doctors brought you to life. The reality is the machine kept you alive, and, and you would come in here and think that you have grounds for boasting the gospel and what we have in Christ and what we've fully been given by a gift of God would be just as absurd as doing something like that. But how quickly the saints need to be set straight because they believe they have all they want. They believe they are rich. And not just that, Paul goes, I kind of wish you were king so that I might just get to reign with you, but you're not. It's this set straight thing. You, you, you have an unrealistic reality. You have forgotten that you're saved by grace. If we don't believe we're saved by grace, then of course there's going to be dissension and disunity and factions inside the church because now we can measure up ourselves with one another.
Do you know one of the greatest signs that I think that we have slipped into deceiving ourselves, that we have made ourselves right with God, we have slipped into self-righteousness, we have slipped into an already we have arrived, is when we are shocked by the sins of others. This is a huge one. If you are shocked by someone else's sin, you go, I can't believe they did that. Can you believe they did that? Can you believe that so-and-so did that? That comes out of the mouths of a heart that is self-righteous. Of course we can believe that broken people do broken things. To say that I can't believe someone did that or I'm in a complete and total utter shock might be from this. It might be that you have a low view of God's law and God's holiness and a very high view of yourself. And so you just think with some small tweaks in your life, basically you just got yourself right on into the sweet holy presence of God. Then we become... Puffed up and self-righteous. We do this as parents with our kids, right? Like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they're doing this. Can we believe that we lie and deceive and cheat and steal and lust and according to the Bible, murder probably before 12 o'clock almost every day? Do we believe that about ourselves? Are we shocked by the sin in our own life? Sometimes we are and we're like, I can't believe I did that. Why can you not believe that you are broken? The Bible tells you so. In fact, the only qualification that you have to become a Christian is that you admit that you're utterly broken and helpless to save yourself. Unless we are set straight in first how we got here and how we are kept here, there's going to be just a lot of mass confusion. There's going to be a lot of dissension, a lot of factions, and there's going to be a really high view of ourselves, an inflated view of ourselves. I see this kind of mentality with teenagers today. Verse 8, this self-sufficient, self-dependent, we don't need anything from anyone, yet they don't pay any bills, they don't pay for their cell phone, they don't pay for the houses that they live in, but yet they know how the world works and don't need parents or anyone else. I'm sorry to offend you if you're a teenager, but that's just the reality is, is, is a way of thinking is you can quickly fall into something like that. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and we do this with God as well. What we see in our teenagers, here's the truth. And what we see in, in, in people, what we see in our children is just a reflection of who we are still as grown up. Just we know how to m- maybe tweak and put a little bit more makeup on it. But God's grace is sufficient. This is where the, 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 the Corinthians are, and so Paul addresses this to, to, to set them straight. Verse 9, he says, For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. What's going on? Do you know that theology matters? Or to my Irish friend, DC, theology. Our theology matters. Paul's theology is actually going to lead him to a life without all the frustration that many of us experience. Paul's theology is not going to lead him to a bunch of unrealistic expectations that he's put on his life. Paul was not married, but if he was married, a lot of those expectations would be brought into the marriage. The reality is that Paul has an accurate theology of who he is and what he deserves. The wages of sin is death and who God is. And reality is that he knows that there is no way in any shape or form that he deserves to be a child of God. He deserves to be a child of wrath. Anything that he has in this life, but especially to be a child of God, is only because of grace. So he says that we've been exhibited by God as, as apostles of last of all, as men who are on death row. 
He uses this gladiator language here. The language he actually uses in, in the Greek is one fed to lions. Paul is saying, we're like the bottom of the barrel servants, as he said prior to this. Ronnie preached last week. We're the bottom of the barrel. By God, we're last of all. Paul's theology, you know what? Wasn't going to lead him to a prosperity gospel. It wasn't going to lead him to a prosperity way of thinking to where when pain and suffering enters our lives, we go, why is this happening to me? The most famous words oftentimes in our society is, this isn't fair, or I don't deserve this. I was watching a reality TV show last night, and that's what one of the women in the show that are all trying to date the same guy <laughs> said, is this isn't fair. That's society that we live in. This isn't fair. We love to say this. I don't deserve this. When any pain, when any suffering, anything like that presses up against our lives, our remark is, why is this happening to me? Why do we believe that? Because we have a high view of ourselves, an inflated view of ourselves, and what we actually deserve. Our, our, our expectations are unrealistic. Not Paul, not the apostles, who have a better theology about what they deserve. You think about it. What we know about the apostles is this, is, is they, didn't, they didn't go into their deathbed screaming, this is so unfair, I don't deserve this. Do you know that, that when the apostles in Acts 5 were actually beat, they rejoiced? Why? They're like, we are actually worthy enough to get beat for Christ. We're like Christ. They understood that, that the reason they were Christians is only because they were saints, because Christ suffered. And by suffering, they are becoming like Christ, following in what Christ did. They don't... We do this. When any suffering, pain, anything like that comes into our life, we'll do anything that we can to stiff arm it and ward it away. And then we, we enter the language of this isn't fair. Why has this happened to me? I don't deserve this. Let's look at some of the saints of old and, 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 and what they went through. We know that, that, that the Apostle John was, was, was boiled in a vat of oil and then, and then uh, sentenced to Patmos where he sat in isolation. We know that Peter and his wife from tradition were crucified, Peter upside down, but the last words that Peter yelled to his wife before she was uh, crucified were not, you don't deserve this. He yelled to his wife as she was walking to be crucified, remember the Lord. St. Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, said he was thrilled after being given a death sentence to have an opportunity to imitate the passion of my God. Tertullian, third century theologian, sneered, the more we are mown down by you, the more we grow in numbers. The blood of the Christian seed. In other words, he said, the more you kill us, the blood from us is furthering the church. It's making it grow. I love Polycarp. Polycarp was from Smyrna. And while he was taken to his death, they kept trying to urge him, the pro uh, Council was trying to urge him to walk away from his faith, to denounce Christ. And you know what he said? He said, 86 years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior now? Do you know how Polycarp died? By tradition we know this. He actually didn't want to be nailed to, to the stake that they had him on. He said, you don't need to do that. I don't need nails to hold me here. They burn him to death. They set him on fire. 
Do you know what his last prayer was before he died like that as a martyr? Wasn't God, I, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. This is ridiculous. He said, O oh Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice. As you, the true God, have predestined, revealed to me and now fulfilled, I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you with him through the Holy Ghost be glory, both now and forever and ever. Amen. I think they were set straight in their theology. I don't think they had unrealistic expectations. I think the Apostle Paul is trying to set them straight, trying to sober them and give them a shot towards the pride and towards a self-inflated view that they have of themselves. The reality is, is an unrealistic view of ourselves leads to unrealistic expectations. And we bring those expectations into our relationships. We bring them into the church. We bring them into our marriages. We bring them to all that we go through in life. And we have these really inflated self-expectations because if we are really awesome, good people, then really good things should happen to us and we should expect really good things from God and from other people. And so we put all these expectations on relationships and then the reality is, is these expectations aren't met and we're frustrated. We go, why is this not happening? Surely I deserve this. I'm, I'm pretty awesome. But yet when we read about the Apostle Paul and, and the saints of old and what has happened to them, we see the lives that, 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 that were filled with suffering, that were filled with grief. Verse 10. Look what he says here. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in dis disrepute. Do you know what's crazy to me about this? Do you know that Paul had all of this? Look at verse 10. Paul was wise according to his day. We talked about this when we introed 1 Corinthians, but he would have the equivalent to several formal, highly decorated degrees, likely the entire Old Testament memorized, spoke multiple languages. He rose to the top of his class. Paul had that. He was wise, according to the world standard. It says, we are weak, but you are strong. Paul was strong. Paul had power. Paul told people to go arrest people, men and women and children. Paul had a vote for people's deaths. Paul had strength. He had power. Do you know what else Paul had? Paul had what else we see here? He had honor. Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, flawless. Paul had all this. Paul had all these things, but yet he's willing to just give it all up. Willing to sacrifice it. Willing not to be identified with these things. But yet the very things that Paul walked away from that he was willing to sacrifice and give up are the very things the Corinthians are giving their entire lives in pursuit of. They want to be seen as strong. They want to be seen as wise. They want to be seen as noble. They want to be honorable. All the things they want are all the things that the Apostle Paul walked away from. Why? Because he considered them all rubbish, trash and garbage in comparison to being found in Jesus Christ. Nothing that the world could offer could match up to Jesus Christ for the Apostle Paul. That was it. That was plain and simple. He's like, I've had all that and I'm telling you, it'll leave you empty in the end. 
You know that in this life we do everything that we can to possibly avoid these things? We avoid everything we can to not make ourselves look weak. We want to look competent in front of people. We do everything that we can to look strong because we don't want to look weak. We do everything we can to look honorable because we don't want to be disrespected or ashamed. And so what we do is we create these little mini self-images of ourselves, of a perfect life with perfect kids and perfect families or a perfect marriage. And the reality is, is we create these little images of ourselves that in the end can exhaust us. These self-inflated high views of, of self need to be set apart. Sorry, need to be set straight. Here's the reality. Here's what I text my wife this morning. Rough morning. I said, Allie, I'm stressed to the max. Please pray for me. The girls were too much for me this morning. This is my text this morning on, on the way to church. When I got here, I was just, I was, I was maxed out. My back hurts. <laughs> and the kids were a lot for me. We've had an emotionally charged week. We took in a foster child this week who's a, a week and a day old today. Beautiful thing. Just emotionally exhausted. The reality is, is what I don't want anyone to see and what I don't want anyone to know is that I don't have my stuff together to stand up here and preach a sermon. What I don't want anyone to know is that I am weak. What I don't want anyone to know is that I'm incompetent. What I hated this morning is that I couldn't get my emotions in control, that I let things bother me, that I was stressed, that I wasn't perfect in these ways, and I don't like those things. And so I was responding out of those things. And the reality is, is I needed to be set straight to realize that God doesn't use perfect pe people to preach a perfect message. He uses imperfect people always to preach a perfect message needed to have my theology straightened out, that I'm not a perfect husband, I'm not a perfect father. Those aren't the things that qualify me to be a pastor. But the reality is, is we will do whatever we can to not look weak, to not look shameful, to not look dishonorable, and we will ward off anything that makes us look like that, but yet the Apostle Paul is willing to talk about himself like that. He even says in 2 Corinthians 12, he's like, I, I boast in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. He realized that when he could display his weaknesses and through the weaknesses and seeing the way that God was using him through the Holy Spirit, that Christ was elevated and lifted up and exalted. Verse 11. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Again, Paul is talking about himself in this light to where he's saying all the things, in, in a sense for us to contextualize, it, all the things in the American dream that we're living for today. Listen, people, all the things that we're living for today. To have a home, to have a car, to be nicely dressed, to have food and good food, to have all these things, not evil things, not bad things in any sort of way. But these are all the things that Paul at one time had. And again, these are the things that the Corinthians are living for. And he's saying, hey, the apostles, myself included, we don't have any of this. You will, you will have a frustrated life with a frustrated theology with unrealistic expectations if you have a constant self-inflated view of yourself as someone who just deserves good things and that life is not fair. 
when things happen to you in life, you, you, you will say, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I am a good person. But yet when we look at the apostle's life, you know that to be poorly dressed was to be exposed to shame and ridicule? That the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ were homeless? They did not have homes? Many of us will never know what it is to hunger and thirst. And the reality is, is that when we're reviled, when, 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 when people uh, uh, persecute us, or when, when, when people slander us, when people talk back to us, when people do anything t- like that to us, we fight back. We do this. We react. We're defensive. Paul's saying, we bless. We bring it on. We take it. We endure. Jesus did the same thing. Why do we fight back? Oftentimes, it's because we need to be straight, uh, set straight. It's because we're fighting for some image that we've created that we need to look perfect or be perfect or that we deserve something. We deserve respect. We deserve all these things. We have a deserved mentality. And so we defend ourselves. The reason we do this in our marriages, the reason we do this in our relationships, the reason that we do this in church is when someone, a brother and sister, comes to admonish us or exhort us or correct us and we defend ourselves, why are we doing that? Honestly, it's probably because we need to be set straight. We need to be brought back to the gospel. We need to be brought back to what we deserve. We need to be brought back to who God is and His holiness and His standard and how far we missed it and say, There could be some truth to that. Let me receive that. Some questions that could come from this as we kind of bring this to a close is what is the difference in self-deprecation and being honest and transparent? Is Paul self-deprecating? Is he just laying everything out? We're weak. You guys are strong. We are not wise. We are fools. We are homeless. We are poorly dressed. We are doing all this. Is Paul... Self-deprecating? No. Self-deprecating is selfish because at the end of the day, it's still all about you and what you're not getting. When people are transparent, people love transparency. When people are transparent and honest, it actually builds someone up. It encourages someone when people are transparent. When people are self-deprecating, the only thing that it does is it feeds their selfishness and it does nothing for the community of God. How else do we know that Paul was not self-deprecating? Or how do we know the difference between what's transparent and self-deprecating? I would say, is, is, this is not for me, and I've said this before. It's not when we think higher of ourselves or less of ourselves, but when we think of ourselves less. So it's not when we think higher of ourselves or less of ourselves, but we just think of ourselves less. You can't force yourself to have a higher view of God. You can't force yourself to have a lower view of yourself. You can't force yourself to do all these things, what you can do is humbly sit before the presence of God through the Word of God and say, Lord, where I am off in my life, please set me straight. Convict me, minister to me, heal, heal me, set me straight through your Word, through the power of your Spirit. Paul was not self-deprecating. The other difference is this. His self-deprecation and, and, and apathy are in the end pride in and of themselves because it is still all about your life and what you're not getting. So what is going on here? 
then if, 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 if Paul is not self-deprecating, Paul is just being honest and laying them out before them that this, this is what you think of yourself. This is what we think of ourselves. This is what we have. This is what you're aiming for. This, I have that. This is what I now have. Paul is just trying to set them straight. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. The reality is that the Corinthians needed to be set straight. And the reality is that many times we have a self-inflated view of ourselves that our pride has led us to that needs to be, self, that needs to be set straight. We need the gospel to straighten out our lives and our relationships. But the reason that Paul talks like this and says these things is that Paul realizes that what he actually probably fully, completely, not probably fully and completely deserves in his life is not to have a home, not to have clothes, not to be fully dressed, not to, not to have food, not to have any of that stuff. He knows that what he deserves based upon his rebellion against God and that the greatest gift that he has is to become a child of God. I want to say this in, in, in as, as we wrap up, is that Paul says in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. We have to be set straight in this. Please hear this. Please tune in. Please pay attention. Please give me your eyes forward. Is we have to tune into this. If, if at the end of everything today, if you feel condemned and if you feel ashamed and if you feel guilt, we have to be set straight in this. That guilt and condemnation and shame is not from God. Guilt, condemnation, and shame is not from God. The Word of God says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We have to be set straight ultimately in what the Gospel is and what the Gospel does and what the Gospel has provided. Paul's not trying to shame them. He's just trying to, trying to give them a shot in their arm to get rid of the pride in their lives. But we need to be set straight in what the Gospel is. Because the reality is there's an enemy and he has many titles, Satan, the devil, but three common titles for him are this, the accuser, the liar, and the deceiver. And so the reality is, is if right now, please listen, if right now you think that there is anything that you are doing in your life that is moving you closer to the love of God, or if there's anything in your life as a Christian that you are doing that is moving you away from the love of God, you are being deceived. Because in that way of thinking, your actions are playing the part that are getting you closer to God or moving you away from God or His acceptance, His approval, His love specifically. And do you know what the enemy does? Is he comes in as he accuses you and says, you're awful. What you should do and what you need to do is you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. So he lies and, he's, and he deceives you. And here's the reality. Why would the enemy come in and tell you that there are things that you can do to earn, your, uh, to earn God's love or to maintain or keep God's love? Because the enemy wants to give us more power than what we actually have, which actually gives us more pride. And so if the enemy can come in and convince you that you have the power to control God and His love for you, that you have the power to change an unchangeable God, if you have the power to, to, to change an identity that has been sealed by Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit for all eternity, you get to be the hero. But we don't in Christianity. We don't have the power to make God love us more. We don't have the power to make God love us less. We are powerless in the Gospel. 
We don't move ourselves by our actions closer to God. We don't move ourselves away from God. You know that when Christ suffered on the cross, that Christ suffered perfectly in our place enough? Do you know what the enemy would love to do is to convince you that, that not enough was done? That there's something in your life that is making you unrighteous? The reality is, is you can't, Christ makes you righteous. He gives you a robe of righteousness. You don't have the power to change his righteous life that he lived for you 2,000 years ago. The only thing you can do is accept it as true. But you cannot change a flawless, perfect, and sinless life that Christ lived. Do you want to know what the epitome of not fair is? What is not fair is for an, the only innocent and righteous man to ever walk this earth to die as a lawbreaker. To, lie, uh, to, to die as though he broke every one of God's commands and broke every one of God's laws and he was punished for those. Why? Because we have broken all of God's commands and we have broken God's law. Do you know what's not fair is that God sees us as though we're law keepers in Christ. Through our faith in him, God sees us as that we don't break laws, that we don't break commands, that we've kept all of God's perfect and holy and just law because Christ kept it on our behalf. We are loved because someone else hit the mark. That's the basis of Christianity. We are loved because someone else lived the perfect standard. We are loved because someone else obeyed perfectly on our behalf. We have to be set straight in our understanding of the gospel. This week, in just a moment of brokenness, in a moment of sin, I hit my knees and I said this. I said, Lord, I'm sorry I am the way that I am. It's not like I heard something audible or anything like that. It's just the Spirit, the Helper ministered to me, and I gave praise, and I said this simple prayer. But I thank you that you were the way that you were, and you are the way that you are. It's that simple. We're not... We're not saved because of the way that we are. We are saved because of the way that Christ was and who he was and what he did and what he accomplished. That story, that message, that truth should actually humble us. Get rid of disunity, get rid of factions, get rid of boasting inside of the church and should humble us. How can we grow in this? Let me give three quick ways. Confession and community. If you want to grow in being set straight, then confess. Get in communities where you confess, can confess and be honest and be real. The way to tear down a self-image that you are building up, which is just all smoke and mirrors, is to get inside of a community where you can confess to the community what's really going on in your life. Community is a, is a safeguard. It is a rail for us to be able to confess the men in my life that have come around me and said, Rick, you are out of bounds on this one. The way you talk to your wife is ungodly. The way you talk to your wife is unloving. Men have told me that in my wife. That is the, a blessing of community to set me straight. We need community. We need the church to set us straight. Try this. Try to go one week without defending yourself. And if you can do that, try to go two. When you do, know that God's grace is sufficient. So try this practice. Try not to defend yourself. Take ownership for things, but know that the things that are brought to you don't define you. Your identity is in Jesus. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm a child of God. I can receive that, take ownership of that. I'm a child of God. A compliment doesn't ultimately give me my identity as well. And last, let the word of God 
in our daily devotion to living and reading and studying the Word of God be the means to set us straight? If we want to know where we're off, then trust what the author of Hebrews says, that the Word of God cuts us deep, dividing the joint and marrow. It, it, it gets the soul and it reads what's going on inside of us. If the, listen, if the Word of God is convicting you, that's a good thing. But just trust that conviction is good. Condemnation is not. Conviction good, but don't stay there because God's grace is sufficient for those who have missed the mark. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, community, and your spirit. Amen.